Welcome to the Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and this week we welcome back to the podcast our Tallahassee Bureau reporter, Emily Mahoney. She's been taking some time off since our last legislative session, which ended back in May, which doesn't seem that long ago, but the legislature is starting back up again. They had their first set of committee meetings this week in advance of a January session, a special time of year because of elections and census and all these other things that are going on. So we're going to have Emily here and we're going to talk about what's going on with education, what the priorities are looking to be, and what we might expect for the coming legislative session in January. Let's jump right into our conversation. Okay, Emily, you have been out of our podcast world for a while. What have you been doing all summer long? Just waiting for this next legislative session to get started? (laughs) Yes, just waiting with bated breath. No, I actually took some time off and it was lovely and I I feel refreshed. So uh, it's hard to believe that things are already kind of getting started already, if, if not a little slowly. Well, you know, we have our first set of committee meetings and, and a lot of times it's just for these reports that they do. Here's what we want, our legislative budget requests. But I'm getting a sense this year that we're seeing some actual priorities and some actual organization. Our first set of meetings with Senate education and House education seem to have some real meaning behind them today. Did you get that sense when you went to Senate? Yeah, I mean, it's only been a few days and already, you know, we're starting to see, I think, what I would call a vague outline of what some of the major education priorities might be. I think that there still could be more, you know, kind of waiting in the wings um, as bills are still being drafted. But I definitely think you and I both um, are already starting to get a sense of what the future might hold for this for this session. So if you're getting a vague sense of what you see as a priority or the priorities, what, what do you see forming up? I, I see school security as a big issue again, uh, just based on what we heard the legislature say in the Senate Education Committee, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, all of the school safety measures that they've passed um, since Parkland, you know, as you and I both know, they have passed two laws uh, since the shooting first in 2018 and then again last year in 2019. Um, it's interesting because uh, several um, officials from the Department of Ed were presenting to Senate Education about like their progress so far with school security. And it really seems like we're in the middle of everything. I mean, we're seriously in the thick of implementing the, you know, a, a long list of new requirements and policies and reporting requirements and, and, you know, just there are so many things contained in those two school safety laws. Uh, everything from, you know, making sure your school has hard corners and a single entry and, uh, you know, increased mental health training for teachers and all of that is, is in the works and there are different deadlines for everything. Um, and so it's just interesting to follow that progress. Um, and so now is the kind of the point again where we, uh, as a state are finding ourselves asking, 
you know, do we need to add more requirements um, to keep students safer? And I asked uh, Bob Galtieri, the Pinellas County Sheriff, who also chairs the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission, if, you know, if the commission was going to issue some recommendations again this year and what those could look like in terms of what they think the legislature needs to do uh, with school safety. And he said that he thinks, again, there needs to be some kind of cleanup proposed to prevent um, schools from, you know, skirting the, the law or, or interpreting the law in ways that the lawmakers didn't intend. But he doesn't think that we need to add on much more because there's already so much going on and it's all kind of still in progress. And aren't we still waiting for a grand jury to come back with some sort of findings as to what the schools are actually doing? They've been charged with investigating this. How can the school district possibly meet the mark if it's constantly changing? Right, exactly. And, you know, one thing I think that will uh, could definitely be included in whatever cleanup legislation might be um, written would be um, something to respond to what's been going on down in Palm Beach County, where the school district had hired a third party company to train their armed uh, security guards in that are, you know, required to be in schools now. And uh, there's nothing in the law that really contemplates that. I spoke to the, the bill sponsor from last year, Manny Diaz, who sponsored the bill that allows teachers to carry guns as part of the Guardian program. And he was even saying, you know, that was never the intent of the law to allow districts to kind of farm this training out to a private company. That was never my intention whatsoever. That's not contemplated. And in Palm Beach, it ended up coming back to bite them because the sheriff determined that, you know, this part, this third party was not qualified to be, to be training these security guards. And he said he's going to have to train them all over again. And so that's a huge loss of money for the district. That's a loss of time. And so, uh, Galtieri said that's something that he definitely wants to get cleared up to make absolutely sure that no district can interpret the law in a way that they think would allow them to not have their um, armed security trained by anyone other than the local sheriff. Well, I mean, I guess that's one time where you're actually looking at not putting money into some contractor's pockets, so go figure. <laughs> so yeah. there's, there's other things going on, though, besides school security. I know that, you know, we've talked about armed teachers for a long time, and it's happening now, although we don't know to what extent. I guess you pointed that out this morning in your story that they still can't figure out who's doing it or how many are doing it, right? Right. Well, it, that was that's something that also came up in the presentation to the Senate Education Committee that um, the state actually isn't keeping track of how many teachers have volunteered to be armed under the program. Um, it knows how many, you know, armed security personnel there are total, um, but that includes, you know, people who aren't teachers, people that districts hired solely to be security and don't have any other, you know, educational function whatsoever. Um, and so it's something, it's information that the districts would have um, theoretically, but uh, there was some concern from lawmakers up here, uh, some using some especially colorful language, as you saw in my story, um, because they think that this, you know, this program was created by the state in the legislature and the state needs to be, you know, keeping track of every, every single person who's a teacher who was, um, who volunteered to carry a gun. 
Well, I guess keeping track of it and sending forth numbers is a good thing just for knowing some things. But, you know, as far as the general public is concerned, just having a number, I can't imagine, would help very much. I, if you don't know who and where they are, because then it could be anyone, anywhere. And I guess for some people, that's a good thing. And for some people, that's a very bad thing. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, that was... Manny Diaz again kind of said that that was the point that, um, you know, that this was, and they've used this phrase a lot that this was designed to be like the air marshal program where you don't know who's armed because that would defeat the purpose. Um, so, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see if that continues as a point of contention and if that's something that they eventually, that the lawmakers eventually want to put into statute, that it's required that the state has, you know, more detailed accounting of this or if they're going to continue to let it, um, be the responsibility of the local districts. Well, I know that I was excited to see that other things are getting attention besides this this year. And House Education held their first committee meeting of of this session. They they right. talked, you know, they talked about something completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you actually watched that one because I was <laughs> caught doing something else. And so it seems like early education is going to be a, a big topic of conversation this year, right? Yeah, the governor has made it perfectly clear back in the early spring. He was talking about how we don't have enough kindergarten students arriving in school ready. And that's according to, you know, the assessments, which are sometimes tests and sometimes observations. And he wants to do more to improve their readiness. And so the House Education Committee spent two hours talking about what can we do to get more people into and I say more people, more children into the VPK, Voluntary Pre-Kindergarten Program, and other school readiness programs, how they can make sure that they have closer to 100% participation instead of the regular closer to 75% participation, what they can do to get rid of the poor schools, and how they even identify them. Because one of the things that was a concern for the chairwoman, Jennifer Sullivan, was that children are being tested. She didn't really raise a question about them being tested, but that they're being tested after they get to kindergarten. And so you're not capturing kids who go to private schools. You're not capturing kids after they've just completed their pre-K programs. And so they may have lost something in along the way. You may not be really assessing who's doing well and who's doing poorly. So they're looking at everything from the assessment angle to the funding angle. There was a lot of talk at that committee meeting about how the funding has been static for years and it doesn't cover enough for some families to be able to even afford to do it or for some providers to be able to offer the program. The the families, because they can't afford anything beyond the three hours of the pre-K program and they also can't get to their kids to pick them up when the three hours is over, the providers, because they can't afford to pay and train quality teachers all the time and get them to the point where they're actually doing what they need to be doing to get these kids where they need to be. And especially when they're coming from a lower beginning point, it's really hard to get them ready for kindergarten. Some people have questioned whether, you know, whether, you know, the state is measuring correctly. If you have only 60% or so of children who are coming in ready for kindergarten and maybe the readiness rating system is wrong. But the fact is they're talking about this. They're looking at it. They want to get things done. The, Depar- the Department of Education and the board are looking at what they can do with rules. And now the legislature is talking about what they can do with laws, if any, and funding. So it's a good place to be because everybody knows that when you start off with a good solid foundation, 
you're going to move and have a stronger education going through K through 12. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely really interesting. And I think the final prong of policies, uh, at least that we can tell so far in this very early stage, um, that's going to be a big one this year is teacher pay. And we don't know a whole lot about it <laughs> yet. Um, I think you would agree with that, Jeff. But Absolutely. Uh, we have a situation where, though, that people are forming up for this. They've been talking about it from the governor and the Florida Council of 100 and other groups. We need to improve teacher pay, whether that means bonuses or salaries or whatever. We're not quite sure yet, like you point out, but they are definitely wanting to keep and retain top quality teachers. That's for sure. Definitely. Yeah. And as you pointed out, uh, Governor DeSantis mentioned teacher pay. I mean, he originally tried to uh, get more money, I believe, into the teacher bonus program as proposed in his version of the budget for last session. And uh, the legislature ended up giving him less money than he had asked for. And we asked him about that after session had concluded. And he said, you know, this is going to be a big issue for me going forward. Uh, you know, this isn't the end. This is just the beginning, basically. And so everyone in Tallahassee is basically waiting for him to kind of roll that out. Um, we, you know, I, I think it's probably safe to assume he'll have a press conference about it and, and, you know, kind of formally announce this legislative proposal, which is what he usually does. Um, and yeah, it'll be really interesting to see because teacher pay has been, such an issue in Florida for a while, something that the teachers unions have talked about pretty much every year. Um, and so far, the legislature has continued to make changes to, you know, the best and brightest bonus program. Uh, but there are a lot of teachers who have problems with the way that that program is structured. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of them would tell you that, having a, an across-the-board raise uh, is much better because it just gives them more financial security. They know it's going to happen. They can apply for loans and, and so forth. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see that because it's been so talked about for so many years. Yeah, I know I've talked to a few teachers who have said that they would just like to see them take the entire best and brightest program, which, of course, this year was changed so much that some people saw reductions even in those bonuses. And they would like to see the whole amount just put into the FEFP and say, school districts use this for pay. Now, mm -hmm. the issue with that, of course, is when Governor Scott tried to do that a while back, and he put millions of dollars and said, we want this to go to our teacher's pay. I think it was $2,500 per teacher was his goal. But then he found out pretty quickly that school districts, given the money with flexibility, can negotiate whatever they want. And so the concern is that if they give the money directly to the districts, will they do what the legislature and the governor want? We know that the, the governor, this governor in particular, is being listened to by the legislature and they're kind of going with his program. But once it gets to the school districts who have been kind of wishy-washy or lukewarm on what the what the government has been doing with education lately might say like, eh, you know, I want to pay teachers more, but I also want to add these programs or I want to fix something else in our school system. So it's kind of a delicate situation there because once the money becomes freed up, it doesn't just go exactly where the, the lawmakers say they want it to unless they put real tight strings and restrictions on it. 
Definitely. Yeah. And I think that'll be one of the first questions um, when we see that is, you know, whether DeSantis's proposal includes any kind of policy language that would, uh, you know, require this somehow to be to be put in the place where he wants it to be. So we not only that, yeah, not only that, what we have, though, is will it be for everyone? Because like the best and brightest doesn't apply to so many teachers, pre-K teachers, counselors and others. Will this be the classroom teacher salary proposal or will it be for bus drivers, too? Will it be for, you know, social workers? So that'll be another question that will have to come up because, you know, so many people don't like the idea of pitting one group against another in order to make money be available. Mm hmm. Now, there are other things that I'm sure will come up because these are just like legislative priorities coming out of committees right now, as far as we can tell. But there are bills being filed as well. Uh, have you seen any that you like either from, you know, like just the backbencher or somebody who, you know, is usually influential and gets their way? Yeah, there was one bill that I am keeping an eye on. It was filed by uh, Representative Ana Escamani from Orlando, who's a Democrat, and um it would cut funding from any schools that receive any private schools that receive school vouchers um, that have policies that discriminate against LGBTQ students. Or I also believe students with disabilities are included as well. And that's the result of some reporting done um, mostly by the Orlando Sentinel that, you know, there are private schools that receive uh, these, you know, these public publicly funded vouchers that have policies that say that. Uh, you know, if you have a kid and they're gay, that they can they can be kicked out of school, essentially. And so, um, you know, LGBTQ uh, equality um, has been a topic of like bipartisan support, especially recently where we had Joe Gruters, who um, chairs the Republican Party in, and is a state senator. He had proposed a bill last year that would have added um, sexual orientation to the list of, you know, protected clauses that you can't discriminate against. And that didn't end up passing, even though it had bipartisan support. So I, I'm mostly just watching to see if Escamani's bill is even taken up. And, um, if it's not, I wonder what, how they would, you know, really justify that considering, um, you know, like I said, bipartisan support for these types of ideas. And also just the fact that, you know, <laughs> I think that people agree that p kids shouldn't be discriminated against. I know that Senator Roussan from St. Petersburg has filed the similar legislation in the Senate as well. So it has two chances to get moving forward and and, and I don't know what's going to happen. I know that there's been a lot of talk that this is much ado about nothing. When you talk to the people from Step Up for Students, they say, we found a handful of schools, not many, that were doing things like that. We've worked with most of them to get those policies removed anyway. And so why do you really need to make a change? But obviously, there's optics involved and there's a lot of politics involved. So that will be a really interesting one. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Anything now, you're I, watching? Yeah, definitely. I personally like the bill... Any bill, really, that comes up that talks about English language learners and how they are treated in school. Uh, there's a big issue about whether they should be tested in English, as the state has done and insisted upon doing, even in the face of federal, not necessarily mandates, but sort of guidelines that they test in the native language. And there's a bill filed by Representative Susan Valdez from Tampa, who used to be on the Hillsborough County School Board. And 
This is just the latest in a string of bills like this. She proposes that if an English language learner comes to Florida in high school, that they not be subjected to the graduation requirement of passing the 10th grade English language arts test. They still would have to take the test. They would still need to show some growth and development. But, you know, she she is pointing out that, you know, if they're not fluent in the language, how are they really supposed to pass a test that requires them to be fluent in the language? This has been a debate that's been going on in Florida last year. We had Representative Polo and Senator Tadeo filing some legislation that wasn't exactly on this particular point, but it was on 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 point that they wanted to offer the tests in languages such as Spanish. So that way the students could take them because they're not stupid. They just don't necessarily understand English well enough to test because academic English is way different than TV English. And maybe they can watch and understand what's going on on TV, but not necessarily read and pass a test. So there's a lot of stuff going on with that. And I find that to be a super interesting set of bills and I'll be keeping a close eye on those. Great. Well, it's certainly never slow, and it's only been a few days, so I'm sure we will add more uh, policies and bills to our list in the coming days and weeks. Absolutely. We have another set of committee meetings coming up in about four weeks, and so mm-hmm. you, you will have to come back and tell us what you hear in the meantime and from the leaders and where they're indicating that things are going. I'm, I'm so glad to have you back. I missed our conversations. Definitely. It's great to be back. That's the end of our conversation and the end of our podcast. If you would like to chime in with your thoughts on what should happen in the legislative session, please go to our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook, and you can put your thoughts right underneath the post where this podcast will be. To keep up on the latest in Florida education breaking news, continue to visit our blog, The Gradebook, at www.tampabay.com slash gradebook. Share this podcast with your friends. You can get it on Google Apple Podcasts, and a host of other places where podcasts are available. If you have ideas for what you'd like to hear on it, please do send an email or put a comment where you get your podcasts if they have that review function there. I'm reporter Jeff Solichak. Thanks so much for listening. 